In 2 Peter 3 verse 10, Peter tells us the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But it will not come like a thief for the believer, but for the unbeliever. And then Peter goes on to say, man, there's going to be a radical judgment of God and it's going to be a judgment by fire. That's what's coming to this planet for all those who don't know the Lord Jesus. And it's motivation to tell us about the good news of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay tuned for more on the day of the Lord on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 2 Peter 3.10, we pick up the text, But the day of the Lord will come. It will come. Now, there were people in chapter 3, verse 3, that were mockers, and they were mocking, following after their lust. Verse 4, chapter 3 says, They are saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Here's the response. The day of the Lord will come. It is coming to a neighborhood near you. The day of the Lord will come. Now, whenever you hear God make a promise, what can you know? It is going to happen. The day of the Lord will come. Jesus Christ is coming, and it's going to be his day. Now, what does that mean, the day of the Lord? It's not necessarily a 24-hour day, but it means that man has had his day, and God is going to have his day. And when he does, he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Now, notice it says the, the way that the Lord will come. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, if you've ever had your house broken into, you know how thieves work, right? They try to come when nobody's home. We had an episode at our home a few years ago. Uh, Brenda and I were both at the church. My wife works at the church as well. She does the graphics for the church. We were both at work, and there was a guy. It turns out he was high on um, crack or something like that. And I think he was at least a two-striker at this point. And he was going around our neighborhood, and he was knocking on doors saying he was looking for work. But what he was really looking for was a house where nobody was home. He knocked on my neighbor's door across the street. My neighbor said, no thanks, I don't need anything. He then went across the street. My neighbor was watching him out of, our, out of his bay window. He knocked on our door. We weren't there. He went around into my backyard. He was messing around in my shed. My neighbor told me later that he gave him about a minute to see if he would come out. And he got a pickaxe out of my shed and started going around to a French door and trying to open the side door. So my neighbor called the police, and then he called us at work. And as he was working on the side door, I had a 120-pound dog on the inside. His name was Max. He was a half shepherd, half Great Dane. Sadly, he only lived to five years old. He was a great dog. And he looked kind of like Scooby-Doo. So I wanted to get some video to see what he was doing with this potential thief coming into the side door. Was he, <laughs> was he doing something like that? I don't know what he was doing. But anyway, the guy never got in. The police showed up. He told some weird story, and off he went into the police car. That was uh, an experience we had. You may have had something worse. There's thieves that try to 
you know, there's pickpockets, there's people who try to sneak up and steal purses, and thieves, they try to be stealthy about what they do. They come when nobody expects it. Even like if you've heard home invasions before, they try to, you know, maybe catch somebody as they're walking in with groceries and that kind of thing. Well, the day of the Lord will come similarly like a thief. It will be like a thief. And the question is, to whom? I want to answer that question by taking you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A little bit back in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As Paul has been dealing with the rapture at the end of chapter 4, he's talking about the Lord descending from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. This is chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain... This is at the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, in chapter uh, five, he's talking about the timing of this event. He says, now, as to the times. And remember, there's no chapter breaks in the original letter. So the thought continues. Now, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Verse two, for you yourselves know full well that the what? The day of the Lord, that's our subject tonight, will come how? Just like a thief in the night. While they, and if you underscore your Bible, I would underline this, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs or travail or labor pains upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, now you want to underline the you there as contrasted with the they of verse three. While they are saying, but you is emphatic to show a strong contrast to the fate of unbelievers with believers. But you, brethren, this is believers, are not in darkness that the day, what's that day? The context is the day of the Lord in verse two should overtake you like a thief. Now, the ones that will be overtaken like a thief are not believers. They are unbelievers. For believers, the second coming of Jesus Christ will not come like a thief in the night. It will come like a thief in the night to the unbeliever. The believer, according to Paul, will not be overtaken like a thief because we are not in darkness. We're not going to experience the dark day of the judgment of God. So we won't be overtaken like a thief. For you, believer, are all sons of light, verse 5, sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. This looks back to the day of the Lord. They will participate in the triumph of the great day. That is the believer's will. The others belong to the night of darkness. That's the idea. Verse 6. So then... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who do their sleeping, do their sleeping at night. Those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. Aren't you glad? but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is one of the verses in verse 9 that makes it emphatic that believers are not destined for wrath. 
The day of the Lord is the wrath of God. Now, what I've been trying to share with you, and this is my view, is that there's a distinction to be made between tribulation and wrath. Tribulation in Greek is thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, and it means trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the promise of Scripture is that we are not destined for wrath. The promise of Scripture is not that we are not destined for tribulation. In fact, we have a promise from Jesus that in this world we will have what? Tribulation. Now, I'm sure that most of you don't make that the verse of your day, right? Put it on your refrigerator. This is my verse today, right? Jesus said, in this world, I will have trouble. I'm standing on the promises today on the freeway. See, if you use this verse, nothing would shock you. But we use other verses, and I understand why, right? So a difference between wrath and tribulation. Tribulation simply means trouble. This world is filled with trouble as sparks fly up, right? We know there's going to be trouble. Now, some days are smooth sailing, and other days are filled with trouble. The Bible has not told us as a Christian, you won't have trouble. The Bible says you won't experience God's wrath. And what we just saw is that the day of the Lord is not going to overtake the believer uh, as a thief. Now, the unbelieving world, here's some things that will happen before the day of the Lord. Go back to chapter 5, verse 3. The world will be saying peace and safety. Israel used to say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. This will be kind of a mantra of the world. In the last days, they will be saying, peace and safety, peace and safety. But what will happen? Then destruction will come upon them, how? Suddenly, like a thief. Like birth pangs upon a woman when it just hits her and all of a sudden, <gasps> she realizes she's entering into labor. That's the idea. All of a sudden, the pain hits just like a thief tries to hit, you know, stealthily, that's what's going to happen to the unbelieving world. And they shall not escape. Luke 24, excuse me, uh, Luke 21, 34 says, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, that the day come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell upon the face of the earth. Unbelievers will be peace, say, saying peace and safety, but you, believer, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, you're not in darkness that the day of the Lord should overtake you like a thief. What else will happen? Go to 2 Thessalonians 2. Next book to your right. Look at verse 1. Things that will happen before the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 says, Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us, to the effect that what? The day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, the day of the Lord will not come unless what happens? The apostasy comes first, 
Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we've put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Second Thessalonians 2.2 Or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that what? The day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come, the day of the Lord will not come unless what happens? The apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, which I think everybody agrees is the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or every or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. We spent a few days in Jerusalem just last week, and uh, one of the things that shocks you about Jerusalem, among uh, many things, is the crowded nature of the city. In Tel Aviv, the population is 750,000. It's the second largest population in Israel. The first largest population is Jerusalem, which is about a million people crammed into that little city. Tight quarters, a lot of people touring the area, but here's something that you see when you look at what was once the Temple Mount or what most agree is the area of the Temple Mount. There are two Muslim shrines sitting there. The one with the golden top is the Dome of the Rock. And there's another black one that's considered more holy in Islam. It's called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is where they believe that uh, uh, Muhammad rode up to heaven on a horse. So this is what they they kind of capture here, and it's a very controversial place. Well, if you're up on a rooftop and you're looking at the Temple Mount and you're there on certain days, there will be Muslim prayers that are happening and they'll be coming from the prayer towers. And to be candid with you, it's a bit of an eerie sound, especially when you're in Jerusalem. And for all those people who were first-time visitors to Jerusalem, they were a little bit shocked at the major Muslim presence that's there. And then there's all kinds of different churches there and a whole multitude of different people groups. Here's my point. Both, there was another lady in our fellowship and me who had hit us at the same time that a lot of what you see today and, and some of what you see if you go to the Holy Land is, is a bit of a bummer, to be quite honest. It's, 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 a, it's sad because you know what the nation could have been had they followed God. And much of what you see today, even though they're back in the land, is a result of one word. Here's the word. Unbelief. You could say disobedience, but disobedience and unbelief are almost synonymous in this case. 
And Israel has gone through a lot of what it's gone through because of unbelief. That's what Paul argues in Romans 9, 10 and 11. Unbelief costs you. Because without faith, it's impossible to what? To please God. You cannot please God without faith. He honors faith. And Israel wallowed in unbelief and the ramifications, the consequences can still be seen in the city and the country today. And it can still be seen in other places of the world today. There are places that are ravaged simply because of darkness, uh, satanic opposition, demonic activity in dark places. And sometimes it's even in houses where one house in a neighborhood is filled with light and the next house is filled with darkness. And a lot of it has to do with decisions made within those houses, within those lives. That's just the facts. So there's another truth that I want to show you. It's in the book of Malachi. That's the Italian version of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. It's in Malachi 4. It's the last chapter of the Old Testament. And we have something else that will happen before the day of the Lord. These are reasons why I believe believers will not be caught off guard. I do not believe that the day of the Lord is a signless event. What do I mean by that? I mean that there will be signs associated with the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord. Check out Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, verse 1, Malachi 4, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will arise or will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, Malachi 4, 3. You will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet. What's your Bible say? Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, it's interesting when Jews celebrate the Passover. If you turn over to the book of Joel, let me explain. When Jews celebrate the Passover, Joel's a little bit back, they leave something called Elijah's cup. What's that? If you've ever been part of a Seder Passover meal, Elijah's cup is set out. There's an empty space at the table in expectation that Elijah, the prophet, may knock at the door of that home show up, drink a cup of wine, and announce the coming of the Messiah. The first Elijah-type ministry was fulfilled by John the Baptist. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's Luke 1.17. And what did John do? He announced that Jesus Christ had come. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, right? Get ready. The Messiah is coming. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandal, right? He said, I'm going to prepare your hearts with a baptism of preparation, a baptism of repentance to get ready to receive the Messiah. Well, the Bible says in Malachi 4 that Elijah is going to come 
before the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord did not happen at the first coming of Jesus Christ. So Elijah will come, and in Revelation 11, we studied the two witnesses, and we made an argument that one of them is Elijah, based upon this verse and some other verses. So this is going to happen. And then the book of Joel. Look at something else before the day of the Lord. This is Joel 2.28. It will come about after this, Joel 2.28, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood. What's your Bible say? Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, notice, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. There are signs associated with the coming of the day of the Lord. The return of Elijah. Cosmic signs in the sky. The world saying peace and safety when there is no peace and safety. The man of lawlessness being revealed. An apostasy that will happen. So we have a multitude. I named at least five things that are associated with the coming of the day of the Lord. This is why I would argue that believers will not be caught off guard like unbelievers will. Unbelievers will suddenly go into destruction, not believers. They will not be caught off guard. Jesus said the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Noah built the ark. What was the world doing? Eating, drinking, buying, selling, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day, listen to that, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came, this is Jesus speaking, and swept them all away. It will be just like the days of Lot. Lot was in Sodom. The angels literally pulled his family out. They said, we can't destroy this city until you exit stage left. They pulled him out and then fire and brimstone rained from God. They were out, judgment came. And these are the, the uh, examples that are used by Jesus. The door of the ark was shut and the flood came. Lot went out with his wife and daughters and fire and brimstone came. Out go the people of God. Down comes the judgment of God. Everybody with me? Those are the examples that Jesus used. And we're supposed to remember Lot's wife because what did she do? She looked back and she probably got swept up in the judgment. And it's interesting. This is in the area of what's called the Dead Sea. Now, when this day of the Lord comes, 2 Peter 3, this is what's going to happen. 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away, verse 10, chapter 3, with a roar. 
the heavens are going to pass away when the day of the Lord comes. Now, Pastor Chris mentioned not the abode of God, but the atmosphere, if you will, the current. Remember, God made the heavens and the earth, right? In the beginning, God made what? The heavens and the earth. What he made, he is going to destroy. He is going to wipe them out. They, the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed. The Greek word is luo, to literally loosen with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Note verse 10, the heavens, the elements, and the earth are all going to be burned up with intense heat. This second cataclysmic judgment is not by water. It is by fire. Both are scary prospects, right? A worldwide flood is a scary prospect. Worldwide fire is a scary prospect. How many of you have ever gone through a fire before? Ever had a fire in your property? When I was growing up, the neighborhood behind our back fence, the house caught on fire. And uh, it was early in the morning, two, three in the morning. And we were peering out the back of our home. I, I must have been seven or eight years old. And this house was on fire and the windows were breaking because of the intense heat of the flames. And the two guys, they were both young men, probably in their early 20s, came running over to our house in their boxers because they thought our house was on fire. I don't know if it's because we were screaming or what, <laughs> but it was their house that we were concerned about. So I remember we were in the backyard spraying our back fence, trying to keep the fire from coming into our home. Fire is a scary thing. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.